from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep. He gives balm for the soul, baby. And we are now in studio. This is Sven Erlinson here with the Badass Counseling Show. I am in studio with my master producer, Rob. We are ready to go. Hey, Rob's always fired up and ready to go. Always pushing, driving harder. I've got uh, KC in studio. And we have a live show going online tonight that we are putting into the podcast for the next lightning round. This lightning round will be going up on Sunday, coming forth with... No idea what that word means, but soon. And so we are live. I'm going to be taking your questions here, people. And I don't have a particular focus at this moment, so I'm open to all comers here. I will take your questions, and we're going to uh, get it going here. All right. Somebody asks <laughs> straight off. I'll just take this one quick. John Cobb, 412, says, what's my favorite chapter of the book? Honestly, I love, uh, I think it's the introduction or chapter one, the opening story where I'm telling about the guy in the woods. Uh, and the only reason I love that one so much, that's one of my favorites, but the only reason I love that one so much is because I get so many people saying to me, Sven, I read that first chapter and I, I can't go any further. I'm scared. <laughs> so there's that one. Um, I love the story of Speedy back in the uh, bonus bonus chapters. This guy, he's a, he was a cop uh, in New York City and, uh, you know, problems with his, his girlfriend and so on and so forth. There's a great story and so forth. But so many favorite chapters, probably the most pivotal one or one of the most pivotal ones is binary, the three binary gates. I uh, love the one entitled, Are You Sure? That's a great one. I was coaching an NCAA, or I was counseling an NCAA coach who was top of his game, Division One, and his team ended up losing the, the rush for the national championship. And we dove down, dove down, dove down in our work together. And we discovered what the core reason was. And it went all the way back to a message he had been getting from childhood. Are you sure? And so midway through the season, he made one pivotal decision that destroyed, ended up destroying them in the playoffs. And uh, it's a great, great fucking story. All right, what else you guys got for me? Come on now. Um, all right, here's how we're starting out. Sven, how do you feel about toxic masculinity? Hot fucking topic right now, right? Everybody's, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, men are fucking toxic and or the old version of masculinity is toxic. And so many pe men are like, fuck you. Um, you know, sure, it's nice and easy to say when there are no wars to fight, no Viking invaders, my people, to, uh, you know, slay and, you know, burning their ships on our shores and all that crap. How do I feel about it? Honestly, let me just put it very, very simply. My work is badass counseling. Now, what idiot names their business badass counseling? When I first was naming my company, I had originally named it back in the 2000s, but then when I incorporated, um, my girlfriend said to me, Sven, that is the worst fucking name you could possibly come up with for a counseling company because most people, you know, that's going to sound intimidating. It's going to scare them off. And this is a woman who built an extraordinarily successful company in New York City and so forth. And she said to me a few years later, Sven, that was one of my bigger mistakes. You were right on in nailing it, in, in calling it badass counseling. Because what I'm trying to do ultimately is to teach men that being a badass isn't about doing the fucking tough guy thing. And it's not just men, though. So many women in our culture are so successful, are so tough. And I, I admire toughness. I do in anybody. I, I mean that. Man, woman, uh, non-binary, I respect that, right? 
Um, but so many people, the toughness is just a bullshit shell. Man, woman, like it's just a bullshit shell. It's covering the mush inside. It's covering the sadness, the sense of weakness, the fear that if people see who I really am, they may not fucking like me. So I'm just gonna be tough. Nobody can fucking get me. I'm impervious to life's pains and the vicissitudes and the, the onslaughts of life. I'm just gonna be tough and it doesn't work. Partly because it's, it just doesn't work. Life is going to kick your ass. Inevitable. There's not a person walking on God's green earth, if you believe in God. There is not a person walking on this rock out in space who doesn't get their ass kicked by life. Not one. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. You, you've heard me say it before. I've written it in a few of my books. That life is, people say, oh, life's not fair. I say life is very fair on one of, if not the most important thing. You want to know what that is? Life is very fair insofar as no one escapes life without pain. Heart-searing pain. Pain that no amount of willpower and volition and rawr, toughness can overcome. Everybody gets it. Nobody escapes pain. And so then the question becomes, what do you do with it? So back to this notion of toxic masculinity. Yeah, I believe it absolutely exists. Yeah, I absolutely believe it's a problem. I think the problem is, is that for a number of reasons, which I'm happy to go into, and I have gone into both in my book and in speaking gigs I do and in my podcast, but uh, it's a problem insofar as toxic masculinity, that notion that I'm just going to always be tough. Think about it. How tough are you really if you have to always be tough? If you choose some arbitrary fucking standard that says men are always tough or I'm a tough woman, always. That's so fucking, who says that that's the definition of men? Who says? Because the truth is, I know that when my dog died, dog, excuse me, that I loved, died after years with me, it broke my fucking heart. You ask any guy who loves his fucking dog, all right? If his heart fucking broke, if he cried when his dog fucking died, and if he says, no, fuck you, he's fucking lying, all right? And that's just your dog. And I don't mean just your dog, but child, you lose love. Life hurts. The, the body's natural reflex to pain is to cry. And the anger or the toughness that we layer over that is to protect ourselves from feeling vulnerable when we do cry. But crying is a natural reflex. So for me, be, truly being a badass means I just express whatever the fuck I want when I fucking want to. If I'm feeling sad, I cry. Oh, I fucking cry at movies. I cry when I was wrestling around with little kids and snuggling babies. My new little grandnephew, Lannon, cute as a button, and I gobble his cheeks and I slurp at his belly. He makes me cry. He's so fucking cute. I love that kid. Part of life, part of being normal, part of being human is that you cry, you laugh, you get angry. Those are all normal things. But if you're stuffing some of those down, you're doing it arbitrarily based on, well, this is what masculinity is. That's not masculine. If you're truly a badass, you're expressing whatever the fuck you want whenever the fuck you want, not choosing some arbitrary standard that you always have to be tough. That's toxic, man, because you're stuffing down your real shit. And then I got news for you, male or female, all those feelings you're stuffing down, oh, they'll bite you in the fucking ass and they will bite hard. Don't even ask me how many clients I have had literally in the last, just in the last, let's say two years, who have lost a child. No lie, lost the child. And of those, probably 75% 
And sometimes it was a young child, an infant. Sometimes it was a young child. A couple of them, it was a teen. And some in adulthood. And about 75% of them had been for, whether it be six months or six years or longer, stuffing the pain down. Well, I'm sorry. You lose a child and you try to stuff that fucking pain down. I'm just going to be tough and I'm not going to feel it because, in part, because if I felt it, it would overwhelm me and I'm sure I would die. Well, well, you run from that fucking pain? You run from any pain in life. You stuff it down. If you teach your child to stuff it down and stuff it down and stuff it down, regardless of what it is, it doesn't have to be the loss of a child. It doesn't have to be going into war and seeing death and killing people. It doesn't have to be the extreme for it taking a profound toll on your soul. So toxic masculinity is the same as toxic femininity or it's a derivative of that or a cousin of that. It's stuffing your pain down. And toxic masculinity says, I'm just going to put on a tough face. It doesn't work. It will bite you in the ass. And I get the toughest motherfuckers. I went to the Air Force Academy for uh, the bulk of my undergraduate degree. And so a lot of the men and women that I went to school with are one, two, three. And we even have a classmate who's a four-star general. I'm fucking 55 years old, man. All right? And so I, I, I've had clients in special forces and, and officers and enlisted right down to privates and airmen and so forth. And I'm telling you, no matter how tough you are, life's going to get you. It's going to get you. And if you think I just have to be tough all the time, you are fucking yourself over. You are fucking yourself over. Until you have the courage to let out the pain, you are just going to fuck yourself over and it will eat you alive. It will pull down every aspect of your motherfucking life, especially your relationships and especially if you're a parent. All right, next question. I hope that was enough. I could go on about that one, but uh, toxic masculinity is just put, arbitrarily putting on this thing, I got to be tough all the time, and that's not being a real man. A real badass expresses what they feel, doesn't just do what society says that society thinks you should do, or a parent who is toxic tells you you should be doing, even though you're a fucking 35 or 48-year-old man. All right. Do I have... This is great. Oh, you guys are going to love this. Sven, my friend thinks you're too aggressive, and you want us to hate our parents. <laughs> I'm too aggressive. Well, I am what I am. That's all that I am. Uh, if you don't like my, you know, my being aggressive, listen, I'm, I was a fucking athlete. Spent a brief time in the military. I was an NCAA strength coach, former Division I athlete. Um, I am, in some ways, the gentlest motherfucker you've ever met. And in some ways, yeah, with shit, I'm tough. Am I physically aggressive? No. Big personality? Sure. But aggressive in my work? Yeah. You want to know why? Because I used to be a pastor, and I'm not really anymore. I still do weddings and funerals. My parents were pastors. World War II generation, four of my uncles were pastors, all this shit. And so I grew up with the ethos of that the strong have a responsibility for the weak. The rich have a responsibility for the poor. I am charged, and I've deconstructed this in my own life and reconstructed it and chosen it. So I don't do this because somebody forced it into me. I feel a responsibility for the widow, the orphan, the poor, the widower. Those without power, yeah, I feel fucking responsible for them. And there are fewer people, there are fewer relationships in life that are set up with an innate power differential more than parenting. When that child is born, that child is utterly dependent upon the parent. Parent has all power. And the thing is, is that doesn't necessarily subside. 
When the child gets into teen years, the, the, the natural growth of the child is to step out, to differentiate, to be, find my own self, to test, to sample, to taste, see what is me. And that requires a stepping away from the parent. And a good parent takes half a step out of that child's life every single day. When you most want to be holding on control and you've been controlling for the first 10, 11, 12, 13 fucking years of your life and to let go of that control, to let go of someone who just does what you say, to let go knowing they're going to fall on their fucking face and skin their knees and break some bones and fail and lose money and do all sorts of shit. You, you and I would say, oh, that's stupid, but they need to learn. They need to make their own mistakes and still keep trusting their own voice, keep trusting it and acting on it, even when they make mistakes. And so I, I'm teaching you to hate your parents. No, I don't want anyone to hate their parents. And look, But if you feel hate for your parents, I want to get it out. And this is a very important point. So I, I want to touch on this right now, this notion of hate. And I'm not just talking about parents, I'm talking about in life, hate. So many people don't even like to use the word, and that's fine, nothing wrong with that. But there's so many people who don't want to address uh, feelings of hate or even remotely go anywhere near with a 10-foot pole, the word hate. Why? Because more often than not, I hear, I'm not a hater. Hey, 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 I'm a lover, not a fighter. Hey, I don't want to, I'm not a hater, man. I don't want to hate. And what I say to them is, the simple fact is, if you have hate, if you have feelings of hate, and you're stuffing those down, then you already technically are a hater. You're carrying around that hate. We only cease to be a hater when we get it out of us. Now, that doesn't mean you ever have to direct that hate at a human being. I can heal you without you ever confronting a parent, without you ever confronting a friend or a boss or a coworker or whatever, all right? I've designed my shit to heal you without the confrontation. You don't want the confrontation? Fine, I don't give a fuck. I'm not gonna push you to confront anyone. I'm just pushing you to get your fucking feelings of hate out of you so that you are no longer a hater. Does that make any sense? Because you're carrying around, you're pretending, oh, no, no, I'm not there. Or if I admit that I'm, well, those are my parents, I can't hate them. Yeah, and by saying that, you're tacitly admitting that you do hate them. I just can't, <laughs> but you do. It's there, you just don't want to admit it. Or I don't want to put that out in the universe. Okay, so you're admitting that it's there though. And so you're carrying it around. You're just stuffing it way the fuck down deep inside. I'm not teaching anyone to hate their parents. I just want to know what your real fucking feelings are. I want to know if, if, if I have a Steven Spielberg make a movie of your life, I want you to sit down and watch that movie and not just watch the mother and the father. And, oh, mom did her best after dad cheated on her and left. Or, you know, dad was a single dad, you know, once mom died. And, well, you know, sure, he hit us now and then. And he was real frustrated and he worked a lot. But I forgive him because, you know, he was, he was doing his best. So we're watching that movie. And I don't know anything. You've heard me say it before. I don't know anything about filmmaking. But I do know this. When filmmakers move, make a movie, they don't just show the action of what the parent's doing and all this shit. They show what's called the reaction shot. So when you watch that movie of your life that you don't want to watch because it means watching the reaction shot of that seven-year-old version of you, slumped shoulders and tears coming out your eyes, dejected once again that your needs aren't getting met, that you're not feeling loved, that you're not getting attention, which is every child's due, that fundamentally you are not getting love poured into your love cup. And have that go on long enough. And have it go on 
because the perhaps for parents' selfish reasons or the parent is using the child as their own little mini-me psychologist. I just put a post up on that this week on TikTok. Or have the parent be abusive or have the parent not protect from the abusive parent. Any number of situations. And that child is entitled to feel whatever the fuck they feel. And the truth is, they're going to carry those feelings around. If their feelings aren't allowed when they're seven, then you can guarantee their feelings aren't going to be allowed when they're 12 or 22. And so they're carrying around all of these feelings that they were never allowed to express. And I got news for you. If your kid wipes out on a bike and gets fucking cuts all over their fucking body and you say, don't cry, big boys don't cry, or a little lady, I'll give you something to cry about. And you're, you're not allowed to express the natural pain. Hell, if I wiped out on my bike right now, I went for a bike ride today, 13 miles. Not a big deal. I just, you know, go in my shorts and no big deal. I don't wear the, you know, stretchy pants and shit like that. But if I had wiped out on my bike today, Oh, and hard, you know, going 25 miles an hour, I guarantee a few tears would have formed in my fucking eyes. A few swear words would have come out of my mouth, but, you know, that's just another day. Um, but the point is, is our natural desire is to let the pain out. And if you force that seven-year-old child to not let their feelings out, then any pain being inflicted by the parent or needs going unmet year after year after year, that is going to store inside of the child. And it could lead to extreme anger. It could lead to extreme sadness. It could lead to disappointment or a sense of betrayal inside of that child. And if those feelings are not allowed to come out, if they are not ever extracted, that's depression. That is going to be the root of depression, anxiety, career angst. You're gonna feel like you can never get motivated. It's going to undermine your motherfucking relationships. When you guys hear me talk about, well, what do you mean, Sven, when you talk about core beliefs that got implanted in us about ourselves in childhood? It's shit like that. Because when a parent neglects a child, it drives an underlying message to that child. Or when a parent doesn't stand up for a child, or when a parent is constantly yelling at a child, or when a parent is using the child as my little fucking therapist, so I tell all my fucking finance problems and boyfriend problems and girlfriend problems to blah, 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 blah. Yeah, all that shit embeds in the fucking child. So forgive me, but I'm, I'm here to serve the child, even if it's the adult child. And I serve parents. I have plenty of parents. I'm a fucking parent. I got a 31-year-old and a 28-year-old, and I failed. And the shit that I don't have fucking tolerance for is parents who refuse to concede culpability, refuse to admit fallibility, refuse to admit that they made major mistakes. It's like, what? You're just making shit up now. There ain't a parent alive who doesn't make major mistakes. And the profound negative impact it has on the child is long-lasting. goes 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, fucking 60 years. I'm not exaggerating. I have clients in their 70s. I've had older ones. It's just like you have to understand the import of this stuff. So I'm not teaching anyone. Uh, this Luna asked a great question or made a statement. My friend thinks you're too aggressive and you want us to hate our parents. I don't want anyone to do anything except allow out what their feelings really are. And one of the things that I've found, the last point on this topic, and that is one of the things that I've found when we go down, when I dig down inside of a client and we unearth that they actually do have feelings, very strong feelings of betrayal or resentment or bitterness or contempt or anger or even hatred towards a parent is once they are allowed to get it out and just allow it to be rather than resisting it and trying to force it back down, the more they allow it, and you know me, I'm always encouraging journaling, counseling, sure, journaling, uh, writing letters you don't send, that sort of thing, um, the Sedona method, uh, and some other things for getting all that pain out, that if they let it come for a year, maybe two years, whatever, that eventually it abates. Not always. Eventually it passes. It's just like any feeling. If you allow it, it passes. It corrupts us when we try to keep it in. 
And so I've had clients say, you know, I've sort of gone back to loving my mother or at, a pre at least appreciating, but it's different now and it's more real. And I don't feel burdened by the hate that I wasn't, or the anger or the disappointment or the contempt that I wasn't even allowing myself to feel in the past. All right, next question. All right, looks like we're on a little bit of a parent kick today. Uh, Sven, what do you think of tyrannical fathers? Pretty much the same thing I think of tyrannical mothers. Me no likey. Um, it's bad. It's just like tyrant. Who the fuck wants to live with a tyrant? I've been in love relationships as an adult where, believe it or not, uh, yeah, um, the person was a tyrant and I didn't have the courage to stand up to him. And it's just not pleasant. So imagine being that, not as in that situation, not as an adult, but as a child. And uh, ultimately, someone being a tyrant is someone who wants control, someone who fears not having control, fears that it's, it speaks lesser of me as a person or of, as a man. The person asks the question, what do you think of tyrannical fathers? And I think it's awful when one person runs the family that I'm going to fundamentally siphon energy, attention, uh, um, subservience from other people to meet my own fucking ego needs. So I'm going to fundamentally undercut all of these relationships and undercut the individuals themselves so that my needs can be met. I think it's fucking horrible. And there's no excuse for it. There's just no fucking excuse for it. Now let's take a break. I'll be right back with more badass counseling. It took me to the place that scared me the most. The crap I've been running from my whole life. The stuff that's been dragging me down. And it literally began the healing. I feel lighter, clearer, and just happier. Finally, some freaking peace. You got to get this book. There's a hole in my love cup. Or the do-it-yourself video courses. All at badasscounseling.com. It's totally killer stuff. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. What's the badass got next? All right, we are back in a lightning round. We're covering all sorts of topics today. We've done a few on parenting, uh, but I see a few more here in the queue that we're gonna dive into. I wanna thank you all for joining me here on the Badass Counseling Show. It's just fucking kick-ass. Uh, I feel so privileged that people trust me with their stories, trust me with their questions, and uh, I just um, sort of hope and pray every day that I'm being a good steward of what you are trusting me with. So we've been talking about parents, but I don't necessarily want to stay on that topic, but I'm, I'm going to just do a very super duper lightning right now. Uh, somebody just asked, do you have any videos on this topic? I have about 2000 million hundred uh, videos on the topic of parenting. Just go on TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, though fewer there. Just TikTok, fucking Instagram, and I've got so many on parenting, on being a kid, and so many different um, aspects of it. How do you get the courage to face them and not have fear? Face parents. Um, if you're having to conjure up courage to do anything in life, really get yourself worked up. It's not time. Wait until you know. And if you don't know yet, or if you're still trying to conjure up courage to do anything, let alone confront a parent, um, you know, how do you do it and not have fear? Fear is uh, latent in anything that requires uh, or, or prevalent in anything that requires courage. And But when you know it's time to do something, know it's time to quit a job, know it's time to break up with someone or, or just know it's time to walk up to that person and say, hey, would you like to go out on a date? Or know it's time to confront a parent or to stand up to a friend, you know. And the courage just comes. 
And so if you don't have that sense of knowing yet, it's because there's still stuff that you haven't addressed yet. There's stuff you still haven't gotten out of you yet that is blocking that sense of clarity because the more of the pain and the fears and the bullshit beliefs you've been taught about yourself, the more you get those out of you, the greater clarity you have next. And I'm just doing lightning, super lightning here because there were a bunch where people... Uh, sort of whatever. Uh, I'm chatting to a guy who is hot and cold, seems to only chat on his terms. Should I persist? Is it me? Chatting to a guy who is hot and cold, seems to only chat on his terms. Should I persist? Is it me? No, don't persist. Fuck that shit. Actually, what you should do first, and is it you? No, God. Uh, Madam Plague, the mere fact that you're saying, is it me? That indicates a, a different problem of shit you can be doing on your own in your own work. And I'm not disparaging you. I'm just saying that own sense of self-doubt that you identify these uh, fluctuations in someone else's patterns that don't feel good to you as an indicator something's wrong with you. That's not good, all right? If somebody's being kind of a turd, which this guy is by being hot and cold, um, that's the problem there, all right? You, bottom line is you don't like how he is treating you. That's the bottom line. And people, if you don't like how someone is treating you, here's what you do. You put it out there. You just have the guts that one time just put it out there and say, I don't like how you're treating me. I want to be treated this way. And if you're fully truthful, see, if you hedge the truth a bit and only put half of the truth out there and withhold half the truth and sort of fudge the other half, then you don't know what they're responding to. Are they responding to the fudge or are they responding to the truth? But if you put the full truth out there, now all you got to do is sit back and watch. Let's see how they respond. If they respond with shit, you know what? You're right. I've been a jerk and I'm going to do better. And then, you know, watch if they actually do do better. But if they respond that way, it's like, great, thank you for showing me who you are. If they respond with, oh, that's bullshit, I don't do that. No, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. Thank you. I appreciate that. You just showed me who you are. And that's when you turn and walk away. The more you put your truth out there, it's so easy. I mean, it, yes, it's scary. <laughs> but the more you just put your plain truth out there, all you got to do is sit back and watch how people respond. And they'll show you who they are. Do you have the courage, one, to put your truth out there, and two, to watch and see who they really are and to respond accordingly? If someone shows, who, shows you who they are and it doesn't feel good and you're not walking out of that relationship, well, that's on you now. If, there's, if this guy's showing you he's hot and cold and it's only on his terms, fuck that shit. That's not love. That's just bullshit. And the mere fact that you're even writing that to me here... Um, says, you know it's bullshit. It doesn't feel good. Don't stay in a relationship that doesn't fucking feel good. That doesn't mean it feels good every moment of every day, but it means this person is making as many investments into the relationship bank account of love, so to speak, as you are. And if you don't feel like that person's making as many deposits into that account, you're just the one doing all the depositing then waiting for them to uh, deign to give you something. Fuck that. You have to have the courage to get out, which requires the courage to be on your own, which requires the courage to walk away from shit. Because sometimes if all we've ever had is basically shit and all you believe about yourself is, oh, I'm no good, I'm no good, or they won't love me if they get to know me, then yeah, you're going to hold on to just crap. And a guy treating you that way, a guy who's hot and cold and only seems to chat on his terms, yeah, that's crap. All right, next question. How do you turn and walk away from those people who respond poorly when they are, when they are family? Well, the simplest way is bit by bit. Stop responding so quickly to text. Don't pick up the phone so quickly. Um, if you want to do a big confrontation where you tell them these are my needs and I'm pissed and, and great, go for it. But usually or often, 
not necessarily usually, but often people don't respond favorably and they're not going to change, that ultimately you just start drawing boundaries. And that means also in order for you to have the strength to maintain those boundaries, you have to be doing your journaling and your counseling, getting your sadness out, getting your frustration out, getting your anger out. Otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to relapse on those boundaries. You're going to let down your boundaries when you're overwhelmed with your own emotions of fear or longing or feeling alone. So you've got to simultaneously be working on getting your own feelings out on your own while maintaining your boundaries with family. Next question. All right. Is PTSD from childhood a thing as an adult? Well, I'm going to start my answer by saying I am not a psychologist. I'm a soul counselor, and I like to stay in my lane. So I'm going to just remove PTSD, even though I've worked with literally thousands of trauma and PTSD clients over the years, military uh, as a uh, chaplain, uh, emergency room trauma chaplain, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I'm going to just take that out of there, and I'm going to say, is trauma from childhood a thing as an adult? Oh, you bet your ass. Absolutely. In fact, my entire counseling practice is predicated really on that very thing, that what happened in childhood, unless you have done the work of healing that shit, and it's ugly. It doesn't have to take forever if you're with the right fucking therapist or you're using the right tools, which is why I wrote my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, why I'm doing this podcast it's because that stuff carries into adulthood and it will undermine your career. It will undermine your relationships, especially your parenting, your friendships. It'll undermine everything. Absolutely. That's a great question, Pam Brooks. Thanks. Why do I feel angry when my wife slams her own appearance and won't accept me for saying she's beautiful? Well, you know, <clears throat> there might be other reasons, but I tell you, when you're trying to love someone and they won't receive it, it gets frustrating. It's really frustrating. I was in a long-term relationship with a woman, and um, there's actually a story about that with regard to one of my tattoos that I'm not going to tell right now. Um, but when you're trying to love someone and they just won't receive it, they're convinced. They're so convinced of their own dirtiness, their own worthlessness, or their own just, I'm shit. That no matter how you try, it's it's. and part of what makes it hurt me as the person trying to give that person love, it's like, you don't believe me. You don't trust me. My words don't carry any weight. You're not listening. I think you're beautiful. Schwad is saying, uh, this person asked, why do I feel angry when my wife slams her own appearance and won't accept me saying she's beautiful because she doesn't believe it? And you feel angry because it's like, you feel like your words don't matter. You're not even listening. Like you're not even a, a party in this relationship. And you know what I love about this question, Schwad, is that it shows the power of parental imprinting in childhood that your wife is so convinced of her ugliness because of the the deep impressions that were pressed into the wet cement of her soul as a child. She's so convinced she's ugly that it, in a way it doesn't even fucking matter what you say because she doesn't believe it. You're actually seen as, think about this, you're actually seen as a non-credible source because what is coming out of your pie hole goes against her very core beliefs that she has been taught about herself. Think about that. She doesn't trust you or see you as credible. As much as it may feel good or she wants to believe you, you are going against 20, 30, 40, however old she is, years of conditioning that she is unattractive or that she's no good. That's how powerful that shit is. And so she can't trust you. She doesn't trust you. She's got too much pain uh, and sense of her own ugliness inside. Next question. How do you walk away from a relationship that you know isn't good for you, but it's all you know? Um, I'm going to just tweak this one if I, a little bit if I can, Monique. And rather than making it about love and dating, although it's directly applicable and really the answer is the same, I'm going to apply it to friendships because I've been seeing a lot of this lately with clients and so forth. Uh, they can't walk away from a friend relationship. 
or uh, they're just getting their ass handed to them or they're getting taken advantage of in a friend relationship. And again, this is directly applicable to a love relationship or even a family relationship. And Monique asks, how do you walk away from a relationship that you know isn't good for you, but it's all you know? Um, the way you do it, it has nothing to do with walking away from the relationship. What it has to do is you facing your own inner shit that makes you so fucking afraid of walking away. And if you want to go even deeper, it means going down into the shit that where you say, this is all I've known. It's all I've known is shit that's not good for me. Well, if that's all you've known, then you're conditioned to believe that that's all you deserve. And that's all, that's all that life is. So the real work is done inside of you. But as far as walking away from the relationship, yeah, you can walk away. You can say, listen, this is no good for me. I don't like it anymore. But the only way you're going to be able to sustain that effort, maintain your boundaries, insist on distance is by you working on your own shit. Again, that's what this podcast is for, The Badass Counseling Show. That's what I wrote the book for. Made over 500, 600 free TikToks to help you and Instagram videos and so forth to help you do exactly that. But you have to do the inner work, people. You have to. There's, there's just, it doesn't matter if you're a guy. Oh, I'm tough. It'll bite you in the ass, trust me. It doesn't matter if you're a tough woman. It'll bite you in the ass. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're a tough non-binary. It'll bite you in the ass, trust me. Yeah, at some point in life, you're going to be forced to face that inner shit. So it just depends how many decades of your life do you want to waste not facing it? How many decades of your life do you want to waste being a false version of you? How many decades do you want to waste in relationships that aren't what you really want because you're terrified of being alone or terrified of facing that shit? You're still running from that tidal wave of all your pain that's chasing you your whole life. At what point do you stop, face it, deal with it, address it, get all the pain out so that you can finally begin to have a fulfilling life? Next question, fine people. Oh, here's a good one. Shelby Hermosia says, how do I make my husband miserable? Wait. <laughs> okay. I could answer that. <laughs> what was that, Rob? I could answer that one. <laughs> oh, because you have a wife who makes you so happy that it would be a puzzle trying to figure out how to make you miserable. <laughs> That's right. No, your wife's the best. I love her to death. All right. So the question is not, how do I make my husband miserable? <laughs> that was a bad read on my part. Eyes were moving faster than mouth. How do I not? How do I not make my husband miserable while I'm going through uh, and flows of healing? Um, basically, how do I not drag down my partner as I'm going through heavy stuff? Um, first of all, you can share some, but don't share everything with your partner. And I don't mean hide stuff. I mean, most partners, uh, lovers, uh, best friends or whatever, don't have the capacity to carry all of another human being's problems. That's why we have clergy. That's why we have therapists. That's why we have social workers. That's why we have multiple friends. Who we can spread it out over several friends. And that's why we have pen and paper. Start flushing all that shit out. Start journaling all that shit out. But it's keeping the person abreast of it, but also not dumping all of your problems on them. Um, but then also, they have a responsibility for not making themselves, for not allowing themselves to get miserable. Sometimes when we're around people, we feel their pain. And it doesn't necessarily make us because we're mad at them or anything like that. It's because we love the person. And so we feel their pain. So your husband has to have his own tools in place for getting his sadness out over your sadness. I mean, this is part of what love is. We hold hands through the hard times. But what that also means is in those hard times, we each have to do what is necessary to heal our soul, and your husband needs to be doing it. And if he thinks therapy isn't fucking necessary, he's wrong. Or maybe he's a journaler. Great, God bless him. We're using you know, some of the other techniques I talk about in my book. 
for getting that pain out, but he's got his own stuff and his own frustration, or maybe he's feeling like he's on your roller coaster. And, um, but he needs to be working on his shit too. And we'll be back with more Badass Counseling right after this. Are you finally ready to turn your life around? Finally get the clarity, happiness, and sense of purpose you've been waiting for your whole life? Then go to BadassCounseling.com now and get the international best-selling book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup. It changed my life. It'll change yours. Now back to more Badass Counseling with Sven. And here we are. Great to have you back on the Badass Counseling Show. I appreciate all of you, every last little ones of you. I want to pat you on the head. I feel like each one of you is my own little duckling. Uh, (laughs) No, I haven't been drinking yet today. Um, And uh, just kidding around, as far as you know. Uh, It's great to have you here. We are in a lightning round. In fact, we were doing a super lightning round a minute ago, and I want to go back to super duper lightning round where I'm just going to go boom, ba, boom, ba, boom, ba, try to not stay too long on any one question, not because there's a good reason for it, except, hey, why not? Uh, What do you do with someone who never takes accountability? I'm so tired of it. You want to know what you do with someone who never takes accountability? If you're saying never, that means there's a longstanding pattern of behavior. You walk the fuck away. Clearly, you've already met your needs, and they still don't want... You wouldn't be talking about accountability unless you had already stated what your needs and wants are, and clearly, they're not honoring them. You walk the fuck away. That's what you do, because some people will never change. Why? And part of it is you're allowing them to not change by you're not insisting on accountability, standing up, and then if they don't, then you walk away. Otherwise, you're not holding them accountable either. And uh, at some point, you have to be accountable to your fucking life. Next question. How can I help my husband deal with the death of his father? Ash asks. Um, You can be there for him. You can tell him every single morning and every single night, as I'm sure you're already doing, I love you and I'm here for you. Um, You can make recommendations, but don't harp on that shit. Don't fucking nag on that shit because then that'll force the other person down, often very, uh, force them down into their uh, sadness more um, or into their shutting down even more. But the recommendation for counseling and a support group for uh, death of a family member, they are out there. Uh, look up NAMI, uh, Psychology Today. There are a lot of great outfits out there, um, but your husband needs to be in counseling. And if he isn't, there's only so much you can do except just keep loving him, walking by his side. Um, because your turn may be next, because we're all confronted with death at, death at different times and to have people who are there just saying, hey, I'm here if you need to talk, but then backing the fuck off if you're not ready to talk. Uh, what role should step parents take in their stepkids' lives? Oh, that's a fucking tricky one. Um, the role that step parents should take in the step parents' life. This is a conversation that happens between both of the parents, parent and step parent, living together with the kids, or if the kids are up and out, or they're in one week and out the next, or if they're adult kids. But it's it's conversations, and I'm a I'm a believer in slow walking things in. Just take your time. There's no rush. And coming in with kindness, but the step parent also can't. You can't lose your testicles if you're a guy, or you can't lose your, you know, chutzpah if you're, a, you know, if you're a woman going in as the step parent. You don't have to abdicate all of your rights, and you shouldn't abdicate all of your rights and all of your, you know, you, you're entitled to your needs too. But the goal there, coming in as a step parent, um, or coming in as the boyfriend uh, if the woman has kids, or you know, woman if the man has kids is to honor that relationship between kid and parent. 
That is so critical because if you don't, that's only going to undermine your fucking relationship with your lover long-term because the kids are either going to hate you or they're going to pull away from you or they're going to blame you for now mom doesn't spend as much time with us or now dad doesn't or whatever. So it's honoring the relationship the kids uh, have with their parent. Um, when my girlfriend and I, um, we've been together almost nine years, and uh, when I came into that relationship, I insisted that she spend time with her kids uh, individually, date nights with her kids. And, uh, you know, even though they were largely grown by that time and, uh, I had her going to, uh, I found uh, bingo every Wednesday night for her and one of her daughters and they would go, it was on in the basement of the Catholic church in town and, uh, they'd go play fucking bingo with all these old ladies and, uh, they had a great time and it became a thing for them and it made me happy. And so anything I could do to encourage that relationship yet, as I said, simultaneously, the step parent coming in, you have to honor your own needs and your own boundaries. And it's fair. If we're genuinely building a family, then, then new values are being brought in by the step parent coming in. And those are, that's fair too. And that it just takes time and a lot of patience. And remember what my father who died at the age of 92, a couple years ago, he always said, Sven, anytime you're living in community, even if it's just a community of two people, there is always going to be the bumping of elbows and the bruising of ribs. There is no, and I've gone on to talk about this in my, in my books, there is no pain-free relationship. That's a myth. All there is is contrition and forgiveness. All there is is atonement. All there is is reconciliation. And that requires me to be willing to look at what I have done wrong and to go before you and, and concede what I've done wrong and say, I'm sorry. To humble myself before you and hopefully the, the person you're doing that with offers forgiveness, recognizing that they've hurt you in the past. And so that's all there is. There is no pain for a relationship. And that's particularly necessary to understand in step parent-stepchild relationships. All right. Um, somebody asked this question. Wow, I don't get this one very often. This is from Wildflower97. How do I connect spiritually? Is it a belief system or a routine of self-care practice? Um, when I think of spirituality, and you guys know I'm a former pastor, but um, I, my work is spiritual counseling. It's soul counseling. It's helping you connect to your own fucking spirit. How do you do that? The biggest thing that impedes anyone connecting with their own authentic voice deep inside. And yes, I absolutely believe in that. Not an audible voice per se, but a feel, a vibe, a sense of knowing, a sense of intuition. The biggest thing that obstructs that fucking relationship is all the crud, all the pain, all the fears, and the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself all throughout your life. And so the more you dedicate yourself to getting that out, pen and paper, pen and paper. I journaled my ass off for decades and I just kept flushing out, flushing out, flushing out. And you can do it with counseling, but, but for me, counseling is such a slow process because it's once a fucking week or maybe more, but even still an hour, fuck that shit. Jeez, I want to go. I want to get it done. And that's why I do deep dives with my clients, but counseling and flushing out all the pain, all the fears, all the bullshit beliefs, and you will more and more connect with your own spirit, your own sense of self. You'll have greater clarity. You'll feel a sense of lightness, genuine lightness. So you'll have more energy in life, but you have to get the pain out. That is a trick. If you never remember anything else I ever say, anything, you can discard everything else I ever say. Just do one thing. Commit yourself to getting all of your life's pain out of you. You do that one fucking thing, as well as the core beliefs that are really driving all of that pain, you commit your life to that and everything changes. All right, next question. I go to a top university and I feel imposter syndrome because of my narc parents sometimes. 
um, using some shorthand there. So I sort of have to decipher what you're saying. You go to a top university and you feel like an imposter, like I don't belong there, like I'm not good enough because of my narc parents. And um, you guys know me. I don't generally um, use terms like narcissist and shit like that. Leave that to the psychologist. So I'm going to sort of reinterpret what you're saying. I'm at the top of my game or I'm going to a top university and I feel like a fucking fake and I feel like people might see through me. I feel like I don't, I'm not good enough to be here. And it's because basically my parents made it all about them. And when parents are making it all about their fucking agenda and what they think is right and they don't do anything wrong and you're the problem and you exist to serve me, then the child is taught that they are less than. The underlying message is that you don't matter, kiddo. The underlying message is that we're important, you're not important. And so that message imprints in the wet cement of the child's soul. And what does wet cement do? It hardens. So deep down inside, you've been taught that who you are isn't good enough. And this is where I talk about in my book, uh, there's a hole in my love cup. I think it's chapter nine. The three binary gates, the three most powerful messages in life are either I'm wanted, I'm not wanted, that's number one. Number two, I'm good, I'm not good enough, or I'm good, I'm bad, it's one or the other. And then the third question is, I matter, I don't matter. And by not just I matter, but the real me matters. And what happens with uh, parents who are extreme takers, who make life about them and their ego, no, we did great, we didn't do anything wrong, that kid's full of shit, you know, or stuff like that. <laughs> The problem is that you're fundamentally conveying the message to the child that you're no good, that your feelings don't matter, that mine are most important, and I will protect my feelings at all costs. I will protect my ego and my sense of self-righteousness as a parent at all costs. And so you ask me the question, IKH, an artist, you ask basically, what the fuck do I do? What you do is you go down deep inside of yourself. You identify those fucking feelings. You identify where the origins, what your core beliefs are and the origins of those core beliefs. And I've already given you half the answers right here. But I again, I, I have this step-by-step -step process in, in fucking, in my book, there's all my love cup and the courses and blah, blah, blah. And I don't mean to always be pitching this people, but in a way it all leads back to this same thing. You gotta do the fucking work. And I'm, I'm making these tools. You have to go inside. You have to go in, start flushing that out through journaling, through letter writing, through all the different tools I talk about in the book. You have to get that out because that is what is causing you to undermine yourself. And deep down underneath all the pain and the fears are those core beliefs you're taught about yourself and simply identifying them. My 93-year-old mother, before she passed away, for 60 years, well, at least during my entire lifetime, she would always say, Sven, always remember, naming the beast is half the problem. If I'm, I have my gums are hurting and I have a rash on my fat ass and I have my ankles and joints are a little swollen and it happens for a couple of days, I'm like, ah, fuck it, it'll go away. But then it lasts a week and I'm like, oh. And it lasts two weeks and I'm like, okay, hmm. I should probably see a doctor at some point. And then about three or four weeks later, it's like, okay, now I'll see a doctor, right? Because I'm an idiot. So I finally go see the doctor waiting four weeks and the doctor says, wait, your gums hurt? You have a rash on your fat ass and your ankles are swollen. Oh, Sven, it's such and such a disease. Here's a pill. That'll be 500 bucks. Now get the fuck out of my office. Naming the disease, naming the problem, all of a sudden deflates it of all its energy, deflates it of its power over us. The anxiety from life is that we haven't named the origins. We haven't named it, codified it. 
what the fuck it really is. And that's the purpose of the deep dive. That's why my counseling, I take people deep because you have to get down to the root problem. If you don't go to the root problem, any solution you create is just a half solution. If you're just trying to change your behaviors or cope, you're up here, you're dealing with surface shit. You want to actually solve and actually heal? You have to go down to the real shit, name it, and fucking get it out and identify it and keep getting it out till it's done. All right, one or two more questions, then I'm gonna uh, call it quits here for today just because, well, there's no good reason. I actually wish I could keep going and going and going forever. This is my funnest place in the whole world. All right. Um, what do you say to a mistress? Wait, thanks. Uh, <laughs> um do you say wait? And then uh, Try says thanks, presumably to me. What do you say to a mistress? I, <laughs> I don't know what the goal is. I don't know what you're. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, maybe what you say if the mistress is yours. I'm going to assume that it's your mistress and you're married. What you say to a mistress is, "I'm not supposed to be in this relationship. I'm going to end it now." And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my wife that I've cheated on her. And then after she leaves me, then maybe I'll come back to you. But Oh, oh, actually, that this is really good. Something I haven't done a post on in a while. So I'm going to tell you guys right now, and this is, if you're cheating right now, you're not going to like this. If you're in a cheating relationship or the one who's cheating, who's co-cheating with someone who's cheating on a spouse, you're not going to like this. But as you know, I wrote a book on, a two-volume book on infidelity, right? And, uh, <laughs> and I was cheated on by... In two major relationships, I cheated on one partner and then I was a co-cheater in many. And not proud of it. Everybody has their shit in their past and that is mine. But here's what I'm gonna tell you. If there's one pattern I have seen over the course of 30 years of counseling people, particularly in the field of cheating where it's not my shit ain't just book shit. This is lived, it's experience and you know me, I ask deep questions, et cetera, et cetera. This is what I've learned. The person that the gods or the universe or God or your own soul or just chance, whatever you want to fucking call it, Mickey Mouse, the person that the gods use to get you out of a relationship is seldom the person you're going to be in a relationship with after that long term. Hear me again. The person that the gods use to get you out of a relationship in all likelihood isn't the person you're going to be in a relationship with long term. Does it happen sometimes? Yeah far higher percentage of, nope, that relationship, that person that was your mistress or was your the man you were cheating with, uh, that one's gonna blow up after your marriage or your love relationship is done. It, not always, you know, there are anomalies, but generally, so if you think that's the next great relationship, go for it, but don't be surprised if it doesn't work out because I seldom see it does work out. All right, um, when the greatest fear is the world sees you as you see yourself, um, yeah, that's the fear of so many people. That's, in a way, it's not even original. It's so common. The fear that the world will see me as I see myself, and I got bad news for you. The bad news is you didn't come out of the womb hating on yourself. No child comes out of the womb thinking, I suck. That means somewhere between the womb and right now, you were conditioned, you were taught a lie. And the lie is, you suck. The lie is, you're no good. You're too this, you're not enough that, too fat, too stupid, too tall, too skinny, too lazy, too blah, 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 blah. You were taught that. 
That's not what you think of yourself. That is not your native state. You were taught to think that. So your fear is that ultimately, yeah, you think that's what you think of yourself. You think you're your own worst critic. No, it's those voices inside of you. And your fear is that people will see you for that. Yet here's the thing. Deep down inside of you, there is a flame. Call it the divine spark, if you will. Call it the pilot light of your soul, if you will. Deep down inside of you, there is a flame burning that believes in your actual goodness. And it may be just flickering. Just flickering. But it's there. It's burning. And it doesn't believe that you're bad. It doesn't believe that you have deserved any of the crap that's been heaped on you in your life. Deep down inside, there is this spark of the soul. And you believe that you are good. I guarantee you, if we were sitting in this room, if you were in my studio with me and you and I were talking, I would find that one half of 1%, or maybe it's 27%, or maybe it's 43% or 62%, or maybe it's one and seven-eighths percent, but there is a small percentage of a flame inside of you that believes in you. And the way we fan that flame to full force is by removing all the blockages, all the bullshit, the fucking bullshit you've been taught about yourself that was never true, that was not your native state. When you came out of the womb, someone taught you that you have a problem. Someone taught you, you wanna know what your problem is? That you believe you are the problem. You've been taught to believe that you are the problem and it was never true to begin with. And until that is upended, until all the shit comes out of you, you're gonna go on believing that. But this can be done and it can be done in an accelerated form, people. You can get all this shit out of you and you begin to see, that's not how I see myself. You begin to stoke. That fucking flame and no full fire. And I'm telling you, I do this shit every fucking day, including Saturdays and Sundays because it's family or friends or somebody I'm fucking counseling. And this is the shit. And the world will see you the way your authentic self sees yourself. And the more you have the courage also to remove from your life people who look down on you or see you as less than, the more you make room for people who see the beauty, who see the divine spark in you and admire you for your courage to become your most authentic self. My fine people, I am always delighted to spend time with you. This is the Badass Counseling Show. I'm so grateful for all of your questions tonight. Thank you for trusting me with your problems. I love you. And you know where to get my book. Uh, there's a hole in my love cup. Go to my website, uh, badasscounseling.com. Thank you for subscribing to the Badass Counseling Show. And you go out and... Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. <laughs>